Hey, it's Swedenborg Live. Can you believe it? We're here and we get to do our favorite thing in the world, which is think about and talk about and grow around the core of life and trying to see what's really going on and how can we use that to make life better. This is a great way to spend some time. So thanks for doing it with me, all of you. We're going to hang out and talk about whatever you guys ask. So go ahead and get your questions in the YouTube chat right now. Tackling whatever difficult subjects you bring up with me is just the greatest panel you could ever imagine. So uh, what's going on, panel? Hi, I'm Karen Childs, Community Care Manager and writer on Off the Left Eye. Welcome, everybody. It's so great to have you join us. And I'm Cara Dom, a Latin consultant for Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition and a part of the community care team. Happy to be here on a sunny Friday. Awesome. My name is Curtis Childs and I am the director of Off the Left Eye, which is this thing that produces this show that we're watching right now. To get ourselves in the mood, we got a, it's this genre change from the hustle and bustle of everyday life to thinking a little more, I guess you could say spiritually about things. We've got an inspirational quote that's related to our theme this week. This is from Heaven and Hell 117. So you've turned on your phone or your computer, but take a second now to just like take a breath and let's get in the space in our minds. It says, heaven's son is the Lord. Light there is the divine truth and warmth the divine good that radiate from the Lord as the sun. Everything that manifests itself in the heavens is from this source. Thinking about the, the Lord shining like the sun. Uh, hey, in honor of that, 117, we have set our magic extra 15-minute point at the $117 mark. So we're not for profit if you if you haven't watched us before. All of this is possible because of you, all of you contributing. So if we can raise $117 during this show, we'll get extra 15 minutes of show just like that. So consider going to offtheleftside.com slash donate and make a donation and it will be registered. You can even become a monthly donor which lets us do things throughout the year and whatever you contribute this month will go into our counter to, to that extra magical time. And then halfway through the show, we're going to have a raffle of all the new, of all the current donors. Uh, and somebody's going to walk away with some life-changing OTLE swag. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's get ready to do our Q and a initially let's hear some A's from all of you. We have our community poll that we put out every week where we ask you a question. This week, the question was, <clears throat> how might the sight and feel of the sun's presence be teaching you about God's presence? Correspondences 101, how do we make that connection? So Karin, our community manager, what, what are people saying? Okay, here's some responses that we got in. Um, you don't have to stare to know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> the sun shines on everybody. So it is with God's love. In Sanantan Dharma, Hindu, we worship the sun as, sorry if I pronounced this wrong, Suryanarayan, uh, Narayan, Narayan, being the name of God according to us. Beautiful. Like a child, I can feel safe and warm under God's bright love and light. Yes. We can see everything in our world by the reflection of the sun's rays. We are also sustained in life by the sun's heat. 
Similarly, spiritually, we can gain insight about the true nature of anything in the world through God's light and be sustained in the pleasure of spiritual life by God's love. Mm, nicely put. Oh, I love this. Just like God, the sun shines on all creation, giving life. And even though it's behind a cloud or we can't see it, due to darkness, it's still there. Yes. The sun is the pollinator of life. It's very sexy. <laughs> After reading and understanding Swedenborg's writing about this, I think every time I am out sailing that not only does the sun provide light and heat, but the combination of the two create the unseen wind that moves my boat. I meditate on what the corresponding truth and wisdom of the Lord are doing to create emergent things like spiritual wind to make every moment one of divine action and presence. Wonderful. It's strength and warmth, the way it encourages growth and gives light in dark places. It's colors that contrast with the sky, the feel of the old ringing in the new. Oh, nice. Every morning I go out and meditate on our rooftop. Sun warming me up makes me feel so good. And I think if the physical sun can make me feel this wonderful, how much more the Lord's love is sustaining us and giving us what we need. Then in the evening, I go watch the sunset on the roof and the colors are like a promise that just like the sun will return, God has good things in store for us, even when we can't see his plan. I love it. It's always there, whether we realize it or not. But even when the world gets between us and the sun, it is only then that we can see the stars. The same is true of God. He's always present regardless of our realization of it. But even when he feels distant and hidden, it is in those moments when people and events in our lives can remind us that light still shines in the darkness. Well, beautiful. And finally, the sun is the Lord's physical body that grants and gives life to all that exist in its bountiful, bountiful light. It also represents God as the sun, S-O-N, from which salvation is obtained. Wow, those are just beautiful. Thank you so much. And who knows if we ask a question like that, whether that's going to resonate with anybody, whether they're going to actually have any sort of connection to it, but people take it seriously. And it turns out, no, there's all, all kinds of stuff already in people's hearts and minds about that. So maybe we feel this correspondence as a, as a reality. Okay. It's time. Is everyone ready for the first question? This is from Nadia Masseau who asks, I'm so curious to know if Swedenborg had any thoughts on our existence before we came to earth. Does he have any insight about this? Pre, pre-birth, were we uh, making any decisions that we exist? Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to know. Karin, what do you think? Um, what I understand from what Swedenborg learned was that before our physical birth, we our, uh, the core of our existence was part of the mind of God, like part of God's um, vast array of thoughts and feelings. And there's a fascinating quote that we used in one of our shows about um, that it's, it's this uh, mystery or secret that the angels were telling Swedenborg that um, at the core of us is we are a desire, a desire of God. And it's, it's then our, um, destiny to fully become that desire, like consciously after we are born um, and we 
grow into this individual being who can choose how to use that <laughs> um, core of life that is inside of us. Um, we can choose to grow, live into that potential of, of being that desire of God. So he did not present us as having a, um, a conscious individual existence before our physical world birth, but that we, um, you know, our, the core of our existence, the life force that's in us was still part of the mind of God, um, you know, just part of that uh, general uh, source of God's thoughts and feelings. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it because he has little material on, you know, pre-birth, but that's, that is a good point that, that, that we were there, something that was the core of us was there. I want to go to Carl, but we got to pause for a second and say thanks to Stephanie. Stephanie, we're on the board. We've already got a contribution. We're, we're not quite halfway, but not too far from halfway to our goals. So anyone else who wants to get us to end the suspense, we don't want to be living in this on the knife's edge of are we going to make it or not. So that's uh, off the left at our complex donate. Okay, Cara, what, what, what do you uh, what do you think about it? Well, I I have the same feeling that Karen had, but the phrase that came to me immediately when you read the question was, uh, you know, when you sometimes say to your kids about your ancient past and like, oh, before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye. Yep. So and so happened, and so uh, that that just is funny that that came to mind about that's that's what we were before we were conceived was a twinkle in our father's. I just like Karen says, this desire, this love that is just waiting for another, um, another vessel, another avenue to share his love in the world. That's great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It does a little sparkle. Yeah. This next one is from Colin Vickers, who asks, "Would the panelists be willing to share how they go about periodically examining themselves for sin?" And what the repentance process is like for them. Oh, I hope we actually do this. Okay, well, let's let's see. Karen, what do you think? Um, the way it usually goes for me is that I run into a, uh, you know, a, a challenge. Um, I did just recently <laughs> go through this where um, it can sometimes be triggered by external events and sometimes doesn't really seem to have any external trigger, but I'm suddenly just feeling dreadful or upset or irritated or, you know, some, some upheaval of negative emotions. And um, what Swedenborg's uh, books have guided me to do and understand what, what Jesus was talking about was um, I just try to notice in there what, what's going on. Uh, like I can, I, when those things are being stirred up and, and Swedenborg says the, the point of going through temptations is to stir up our negativity that needs to be exposed and then dealt with, meaning we have to see it, acknowledge it, and then ask the Lord to free us from it. <laughs> and so when I'm just like recently, I was just getting, Oh, I just was hit by waves of depression and upset. And, and I just, in the middle of that was able to pick out some issues <laughs> that I've recognized in myself of, um, uh, of lack of trust of, um, 
wanting things to go my way, um, a few different things that I could identify that were being stirred up and, you know, irritation at whatever was getting in my way or whatever. And so as I recognize those things, I just make the effort to just name them. (laughs) And, and I know, you know, I can feel in those times that I absolutely can't get rid of those things myself. That's super clear because I just am inundated. And uh, this was an intense one recently because it was so like, uh, it was so beyond my control to make the feelings stop. You know, it was just like, uh, but, but just, it's helps me so much to have um, just this Swedenborgian perspective of what Swedenborg observed that this is a flood of stuff being stirred up in me. And the point is so that it can be, uh, you know, some of it can be purged from me. So after I just notice it and name some specific things, um, because Swedenborg uh, learned that it's, it's really important to, to find something specific that you can recognize and that you want to ask the Lord, like, please free me from this, from this particular desire to have things go my way. Like, um, so I, you know, and, and Swedenborg always emphasizes it doesn't have to be, I think hell always wants you to just think of every, like my whole self is hopeless or my whole life is, but the thing we need to do is just pick something very small and specific. I mean, it's not small, but specific and ask the Lord to please free you from that and change your heart. That's what I do. Like ask, please free me from this. Even if my feelings, because my lower will might not be what feel like I want to be freed from it yet. Sometimes I've even prayed like, please give me the desire to get out of this trap. Because sometimes there's justifications like, well, but you know, <laughs> I should, I have a right to feel this way or whatever. Um, so sometimes I'm even praying to be um, for the gift of even wanting to get out of this little jail I'm in. So specific naming something and then asking the Lord, please, uh, please free me from this. And then um, going forward, just trying to be conscious of that, like trying to be conscious of, uh, of that popping up and that I don't want to go with that. I don't want to dive into that particular thing. And then I find it, then I just have to be a little patient for the storm of the emotions to pass, but they do. Um, and I'm, I'm very, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that as life goes on, I find that when those floods come there, they seem even more like to get more intense, but they last a shorter time for me. That's just how it seems to go for me. Like, I feel like early in life, I would stay in this flood for a long time (laughs) and now it comes and it's so intense, uh, but it seems to pass more quickly. And maybe because I've just gotten a little better at recognizing, um, okay, what it is and, and what are the steps? Like, what's the point of it? And what are the steps to cooperate with the process? So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Thank you for, for dipping into your bag of personal experience there and sharing some practical stuff, but also just some, some stuff that's easy, easy to relate to. Cara, well, how's it go for you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it feels really personal, <laughs> but I guess just in general, I'd, I'd say, um, it's more sort of stream of consciousness for me or something, but, but mostly it is like Karen said, naming it, being separate enough from my own emotions, you know, objective enough to be able to recognize when 
some frame of mind or some emotional state is just keeping me in hell. And so uh, to be at uh, the ability to recognize it and to name it and to pray for the Lord to get me through it or whatever it is, I, at this stage of my life, I'm also just trying to keep in mind that um, these hard parts are part of the process and they're not something that, um, I don't know, just walking the line between like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, or letting it sit, sitting with whatever it is for a while, you know, enough to just uh, try to recognize what is it and um, how might this be helping in my process. So I'm a little like loosey goosey about it, but I know some people who are very intentional, like for instance, they spend Good Friday every year doing a long sort of inventory of themselves and, um, and I also can't let this moment pass without referring to a website that a friend of ours has created called beginanewlife.info, which goes through a very step-by-step -step process of naming what your challenges are and um, helping you get, get through the process of repentance. So there's a few thoughts. It's great. And I'm glad you mentioned Begin a New Life. That's a cool program. If if Colin Vickers, you're looking for an, a structured way to go about it, it's a great one. And it's a great segue because I feel like I'm super unstructured in how I approach repentance. Swedenborg does seem to lay it out as a process that you can be pretty intentional about entering and that you do very fairly periodically I find myself more, as you said, stream of consciousness, just grab bagging. I feel like all the time I'm just putting little sticky notes on things like that. That's from hell. That's from hell. That's from hell. And I am in this phase of just really feeling like everything that I try to do manually, I don't know if it ever has an effect, but things happen. So there's this quote that is gonna be let's see have we already it's coming up in a chasing swedenborg and in the news from heaven that i just really love i came across it deep in the back of secrets of heaven where it says that what happens in life is you go through these periods of despair and temptation and being broken down and then you get comforted and you go through another one uh, until you no longer want to have what he calls your own life, but you want you want to open up to the Lord. And I, I can see that happening because there's definitely stuff that I previously in life wouldn't really have much of an aversion to that's evil. But after I've been through certain experiences, I get this allergy to that thing. And it's just really easy for me to feel like, oh, that thing is... That I used to like tolerate, like, yeah, they can come over. Now I'm like, no, we're not friends anymore. So I do see, I can, God is getting some stuff done, but I'm not sure <laughs> how much I'm, I'm doing anything. Although when I, when I do try to focus on it, I think, I think in my, in my dream spiritual life, I think the, the Holy Supper or communion, what Swedenborg talks a lot about that as being this sort of cornerstone for repentance. And I'd love to be work, have some kind of regimented schedule on that. So I think it's good to get there. Honestly, I'm not there right now. So those are my thoughts. 
about the whole thing. Great question, Colin. This is like putting us right on the spot. <laughs> Speaking of that, oh, hey, Ruth. Thanks, Ruth. Ruth is out there in our audience and she contributed. Thank now you. we're at 75 of our 117 goals. So it's all downhill from here. Thanks <laughs> so much. And uh, we'll see. We have no idea if we'll be going an extra 15 minutes or not. But uh, we're a lot closer. And either way, both of those contributions that we got are going to help us do what do what we do. And we'll have the raffle in 10 minutes. But let's get to another question. Speaking of putting on the spot. Oh, did you want to say something else, Karin? Okay. Speaking of putting on the spot, which of the Wildwood asks, ignore my name, but what does Swedenborg say about witchcraft, like spells and rituals? So we've got a, we've got the Witch of the Wildwood asking that, but not as Witch of the Wildwood. So <laughs> what what Swedenborg have to say about this? Karin? Uh, first, you have to just consider semantics because um, Swedenborg himself, probably the word witchcraft, you'd only find in the sort of dark side uh, use of the word. Um, and, um, but there are other words he used that, that are the same thing, like, uh, that are the positive side of knowing how correspondences work and how that can uh, come through into this world in amazing ways. And so there's that, and, and that the ancients had very specific rituals and things they would do that were based on correspondences for good purposes. And so um, everything is according to motivation. And so if there is something you're something a person is engaging in that is rituals or spells for a, um, a very sort of lower ego agenda, um, that is a negative kind of magic or witchcraft or whatever you want to call it. Um, that is, that's not working with uh, God's divine design. However, there is um, this ancient knowledge of correspondences and Swedenborg might use words like magi or diviners or, you know, different, different um, words, but really meaning the same thing where of people who knew uh, the science of correspondences and used that to cooperate with the divine design and so would um, purposely uh, fashion rituals or, or things that processes and things um, that would cooperate with God's purposes, uh, which always have to do with uh, helping the common good and your fellow human beings and, and God's plan of love. And so that is a kind of something we could call magic. You know, if we, I, I do believe there were, were things that could happen in ancient times that would look magical to us, but we're just knowing better about the, uh, the science of correspondences and how that can flow from the spiritual world into this world. So that is something that is, uh, is good and can, can work with, uh, with the order of the, of God's design of the universe. So it really all comes down to motivation. Um, something like that is, is very good when it's trying to, you know, trying to serve God's goals of love for everyone <laughs> and we'll just be negative when it's trying to control things in a lower ego way semantics what a great point you led with there that so much of what we're asking about depends on what we really mean by what we're asking about it um, but i think you're right on 
about the positive or negative. I, when I read that question, what does Swedenborg say about witchcraft? I think of two major ways in which you could discuss it, uh, spells, rituals. One would be, is it real or not real? Because there's, oh, that, that's certainly the, the general belief in the Western world is that there's no such thing as magic or spells that that doesn't do anything. Um, so I would say Swedenborg says it's real. He certainly talks about people being able to do things that would seem miraculous to us, as Karin was mentioning, through the use of correspondences. It, and then is it good or is it not good? And yeah, while you, you're right, if you just Googled or you know searched through Swedenborg's books for the word witchcraft, you would only find negative references to it. And the same thing with the word magic, I think. And, and, and at least the translations, particularly of the Journal of Spiritual Experiences that I've seen. But that doesn't mean that it's all, it's just about which semantic, the semantics again, what, which word is he using for it? Because as you already pointed out, it's great that there are these other words that he uses to describe the positive things. And because in conclusion, not, there's very few things that can be either good or bad. It's all in how you're using them. Is technology good or bad? Is social media good or bad? So I would think all that, if there are the, the ways that you can use correspondences to affect actually think people and things in the physical world, whether it would fall under the negative magic that Swedenborg describes depends on what you're doing for it. I mean, doing with it, the, the purpose is what makes it what it is. Cool, well, that's good, that's fun to think about. Um, me and my friends, when I was little, used to play this card game called Magic the Gathering. And it's like you have these little monsters and you cast spells at each other. Not relevant, but I just remember thinking it was so fun. And like, there's so much fun around like Harry Potter. There's so much fun around this idea of magic. And I do picture the spiritual world where people can do a lot of magic like stuff. And, and like the angels are always representing things around them and being able to affect things. So I think it's a very magical that our sort of the fantasy worlds that we create here probably reflect or probably the reason why we think like that. Like, why are we, sorry, I'm just waxing a little bit on this. Why do we have this really full and dramatic world around us? And yet we insist on creating these other worlds in fiction that, and movies and all that stuff that reflect the, this alternate reality where this is mostly the same world, but you've added on this layer of magic. Maybe it's because there is that stuff in, in the, the other world that we're right, right near and we can kind of feel that. Cool. All right. Let's do, uh, let's do one more question before the raffle. I think we can get it in. Nana Rosebud asks, does Swedenborg ever write about the veil between the two worlds getting thinner? People have described the thing that keeps us from knowing for sure whether there's an afterlife and from talking to people that are in that afterlife as the veil. So the veil is pretty significant since again, there's in, in the Western world, in the whole earth, there's a raging debate about, is there a life after death or not? So there's gotta be a significant veil on it. Is it getting thinner? Is it getting easier? Cara, what do you think? Well, it, it makes me think of first of the history of the veil, as it were. I mean, Swedenborg talks about the very earliest peoples 
um, having very um, open communication with heaven and the angels. And then at the time of Jesus's life, that openness had been completely shut off and thrown out of balance so that hell was more powerful than heaven and that that was Jesus's mission was to come restore the balance. Since then, uh, I imagine that um, it's been getting thinner somehow. I, I mean, like somehow I think just our, the human awareness has evolved into a more open idea, at least in some people, about uh, knowing that there must be more than just this world. Um, again, terminology, thinning veil is not something that Swedenborg would say in those words, but um, maybe Karin or Curtis has more to say about currently what's going on with that veil. <laughs> Let's go to our current events. What is it? What is it? Correspondent? <laughs> Karin, what, what's going on with the veil? What are you seeing from where you are? <laughs> Reporting from, yeah, unfortunately, I can't see it with my eyes. But yeah, um, as Kara said, uh, Swedenborg absolutely talks about this history of the veil getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> you know that it was um, there was no veil in the beginning. I just was anyone who wants to go read Arcana Celestia eighty one fourteen um, was a oops sorry uh, was a great. Um, this little description by Swedenborg of uh, back in most ancient times where it was so open between people on earth and heaven and angels could just come take you on a journey out of your body into heaven and go around and see things and, and then come back. And, and it was uh, just so easy to interact between the worlds. And that got thicker and thicker because the veil consists of um, negative thoughts and feelings, and uh, we're earthly focused, even if it's not evil, so to speak, uh, just a, a focus on the material world more and more, and um, not so much on spiritual life. And uh, in spiritual reality, uh, the ability to see someone or travel somewhere is all about your state of mind and heart. So the veil built up as people became less and less interested um, in spiritual life and particularly in um, heavenly qualities like, uh, you know, altruistic love, altruistic love over material gain, for instance, was one big one. Um, so, and as Cara said, at the time Jesus was on earth, um, things had gotten so, so dark and so blocked and everything. And that was, uh, you can see in Jesus's teachings, him just simply trying to get people started on considering that they have a spirit, you know, that, that not just a body and, and bodily and physical concerns, but there's, there's a spirit. They have to pay attention to that aspect of life. And so that gradually got um, a shift starting, but it's a very long, big, you know, individual and collective changes of mind and heart are very gradual processes. <laughs> and so it's a, a very gradual process and, and involved big uh, last judgments in the spiritual realm of sorting, uh, not only, I mean, it's all the same thing, states of mind and people, you know, like all shifting them all over the place. And Swedenborg particularly said uh, after the 
more recent last judgment that he witnessed a big sorting um, new, you know, like new insights from heaven could start to get through that hadn't been able to get through for thousands and thousands of years. And that is what's required for the veil to start getting thinner again. You know, us starting us on earth, starting to think again about afterlife, spiritual life, um, maybe, you know, loving the neighbor over just trying to get as much as you can for yourself while you're in this world. <clears throat> so I do believe, you know, without Swinburne's, uh, I don't remember a particular phrase like that. The veil is getting thinner, but definitely he was saying things like now more light is coming in from heaven um, and indicates a, a future golden age that is on the horizon for us. <clears throat> and so I definitely absolutely believe <laughs> that the veil has gotten thinner um, since Jesus's times on earth, since Swedenborg's time on earth. Um, and I think you can recognize that in, uh, you know, I think there are more spiritual experiences happen nowadays than, than used to. I mean, there have always been such things, but it's becoming so much more common or awareness of them. <clears throat> so I do, I do believe this, <laughs> that much in Swedenborg's writings indicate the veil is getting thinner. Awesome. And it could be that we're experiencing thin veil in a lot of different ways that we might not even recognize. This week, we're talking about the effect of the sun and that sort of as a correspondence. And I know that there are days when it's overcast and it's definitely overcast, but there can be a lot of difference between thick clouds and thin clouds. They can get pretty bright out there, but yet there's still clouds in front of the sun. So it could be that there's there's, there's light from heaven in our minds without it breaking through into these overt experiences. So I'll give you an example. I just remembered when you were saying it used to be that an angel could just come and take you on a trip to heaven. Okay, so um, everybody who's watching, in case you don't know, Karen is my mom. That's why her name is Childs and my name is Childs. So this is something that I just remembered. Um, when, when I was younger, my, my sister died, her daughter, in a car accident. And was it dad would take us on trips to heaven? Do you remember that? And he would, like, it just means like me and my siblings, he would just, okay, we're going to go on a trip to heaven. He would like sort of narrate us through how we're going up there and we're going to see Annika, my sister, and it's really great. And I just remember being so excited for those. I never had any kind of like, I can see something, but in my little kid mind, it was like, this is so exciting that we're going to go and do this thing again. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, the things like that, that just kind of feel like they've got something in them, even though they, you don't have some sort of experience. Are we just, is that the, the light of heaven shining through? Because you could easily see somebody telling you that story and it doesn't do anything for you, but maybe the heaven light is like shining all through and stuff. So yeah. that's, that's what that made me think of. I totally agree. I remember those stories and you would be, you and your sister, Bethany would be, so excited that you'd be just like, like uh, your dad would be just talking like as if Annika was saying something to you as you're playing on the swing sets in heaven or whatever. And you were talking to him as if totally as if you were talking to her, like it was so yeah. real to you. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, I do agree that there's so many other ways that you can feel the veil thinning. Um, Cause I feel like I don't, see or hear overt things, but I sure feel vivid things sometimes, you know, or an insight that just drops in. Um, 
I do believe there's a lot of ways that, and all those wonderful responses of people being asked about the sun, the symbolism of the sun. I mean, all those insights that people are having, um, that's gotta be uh, the veil thinning, <laughs> you know, just those yeah. insights. Right. Hey, I want to say thanks to Regina. I forgot a while ago. Regina gave. Now we're up to a hundred dollars. So somebody out there, you know that saying, that phrase that the seventeen dollar hero. You ever heard of that? Maybe it's not real, but you can be a seventeen dollar hero right now. If, if somebody wants to put that in, we could get up there to uh, to our bonus. Hey, speaking of that, I know we're we're going on on asking you for things, but we want to give something to you right now. We want to thank one of our donors. So it's time for our raffle. So in this raffle, one of our current monthly donors, or no, it was just somebody who gave during this month. We pick out a name and they're going to get this amazing set of, I think there's an image for you guys on the screen, this amazing set of inspirational off the left eye cards. This artwork that is going to, we talk about the sun reminding us of things. This artwork can sit there and remind you of the great spiritual side of life. And the winner of this drawing is Forrest Dristy. Thank you, Forrest. Yay. The cards are on their way. Yay, Forrest. Yay. <laughs> and thanks to everyone else who gave. You'll, you'll win next time for sure. But either way, it's just a little token, really, uh, you know, what you're doing, hopefully you're, you're feeling that the fact that you are make, touching the next person through this material, and that, that is how this gets out to anyone. Okay, if you if any of you want to be entered in next raffle drawing, just go to offtoleftdie.com slash donate and see if you can't uh, get yourself in for the drawing of a lifetime. Next one, this is Sharon Batten who asks, did Swedenborg ever mention about being frightened or scared when he had those out-of-body experiences? Yeah, was it all just fun and getting to write with a quill pen for 10 hours a day? Or was there some some hardship in there? Kara, um, what do you what do you think? Oh, let's see. Am I muted? No, I'm not. No, you're good. Um, well, <laughs> what comes to mind immediately is the show that uh, Curtis and Jonathan did a few years ago called Ten Early Signs of a Spiritual Awakening" or something right. like that. Yep. Which I recommend you look up. It ends with a fabulous song. But <laughs> uh, it wasn't all fun and games. Um, it sounded like there was a lot of being shaken up. I mean, one of the things that he wrote in his early diaries was um, experienced the usual trembling or something like that. Um, it sounds like it was quite the experience on many levels. Um, and I, I think... I, I bet Curtis and Karn will be clearer about this, but I think there's places when he talks about that he was entering a kind of scary situation, but that he was clear that he was been being protected by the Lord while he was going to experience this. Um, can you set me straight on that, guys? You're already straight. Okay. <laughs> that, that was what I was thinking of, that he would... Often, he, he sure, he was scared, but not nearly as scared as often or as much as he should have been given what he was going through. 
he would describe, oh, throughout the night, the evil spirits were trying to kill me and possess this part of me and drag my soul down into hell. But the Lord protected me, so I wasn't afraid. Like, he was going through all kinds of really intense stuff. I think the fear was greater earlier in the more spiritual uh, journal of dreams phase. Yeah. Uh, but Karen, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it was a, a journey. Um, I do think it was quite alarming and <clears throat> scary in the early stages when he didn't know what was happening yet. And, um, and yeah, definitely encountering a lot of evil spirits. I don't remember specifically uh, sort of an out of, because I've heard actually people describe having a first out of body experience and it was scary <laughs> like because I've felt like, yikes, where am I and how do I get back? I don't remember a description like that for Swedenborg's. Of course, there would have been so much happening that he didn't write down in his journals. So who knows? Certainly could have been. But I definitely um, get get the feeling that it was it was pretty scary a lot of times in the early stages um, when it's just trying to figure out what is going on and what is this world like and who are these beings that I'm encountering some so beautiful and kind and some so that want to destroy me. Um, but as Curtis said, as Swedenborg um, went through his own speaking of repentance process, he, he went through an intense uh, repentance process that ended up leading him into his, his whole life of spiritual experiences. And that would have been guided by providence is very important because through that, he was uh, <clears throat> getting aware of his own negativity that needed to be dealt with and purged so that there would be less for the evil spirits to, you know, get at him through, because that's how they get at us, you know. Um, so, but but as he went through that and then uh, so got more uh, purified in spirit through his own repentance process um, and also got more used to an understanding of the whole dynamic and always keeping his uh, spiritual face turned toward the Lord for help, um, he did get a better and better sense of always being protected no matter what terrifying demons were swirling around. And so it seems that the fear got less and less and then really didn't seem to exist at all in his later stages. But I do think it, it could be pretty scary at times in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, interesting that as he got more and more spiritually developed, it didn't mean that he was having less and less interactions with hell. There was still tons of the, those. It just changed his experience of them. So I wonder if that's the maxim that if you get, get spiritual, it doesn't mean bad things won't happen, but it will change your reaction to them. Hey, drama is about to increase with this next question. And I love it. So Tim Wood asks, why does the Bible say you know, that channeling mediumship and witchcraft is a sin against God? Because here we were earlier saying, well, it's fine, but what about the Bible? I love it. So can we? do we have a consistent answer to that of, of why does the Bible come out? If we're saying it's about the intent and what you do with something, why does the Bible seem to have no problem at all putting things on the naughty list or the nice list? Karen, yes, to kick us off. Yeah, because as Kara said, at the time, at those times, Bronze Age times, times before the coming of Jesus, um, 
uh, hell had gotten more powerful than heaven as far as its influence on earth. And people were tending to engage in witchcraft, witchcraft and mediumship in connection with very evil practices. If you look at those um, passages, and we have a section in our show, Is It Safe to Talk to Spirits, where Jonathan um, looks at those kinds of passages in the Bible and points out that those warnings about mediumship and witchcraft are always paired with warnings also like don't sacrifice your children, make your children into burnt sacrifices to go, uh, sorry. <laughs> He's got, we got a, what, like a, it's kind of an animal, a phone emergency. Uh, yeah, yeah, phone started making noise. But yeah, now that we know the secret's out that you have a phone. <laughs> I know, I was trying to keep that secret. People thought like, oh, she's so spiritual. She doesn't have modern technology. Old kind of, I mean, it's, Oh, like a house phone. <laughs> the house phone at that. Wow. Oh, that I'm... is news. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, look at those passages uh, that Jonathan talks about in, in Is It Safe to Talk to Spirits? Because there's just horrible, evil practices being talked about at the same time. So it is uh, clear that these um, this is mediumship and witchcraft connected to very evil practices of, of doing horrible things to other people and sacrificing people, you know, like kill <laughs> to their gods and, um, and, uh, you know, horrible <laughs> bestiality and stuff. So it's, it's always, it's connected with that. So it's, it's talking about trying to connect with the spiritual realm when one, there was a lot of that going on connected with just trying to do neg evil stuff. <laughs> um, and two, at a time where it was extra dangerous to try to contact the spiritual world because hell was so um, hell was so uh, present, and people weren't in a state of mind where they were uh, uh, having an ability to connect with the heavenly level of thinking, because it was a it was just a very um, you know it was a very uh, worldly stage in human development. Uh, Bronze Age times and things. So that is why um, the, the times those are those things are being written are, are were very dark times that were very uh, connected with uh, the negative spirits that would try to get through if you tried to do anything like that. But as Jonathan says in that clip, um, what changed? Well, Jesus brought this change. Like he was he was reordering the whole spiritual world. And so after, after he was on earth, things gradually got more and more open towards the positive side of the spiritual world. And it became safer gradually. It's always such a gradual thing. So there's, you know, the, the New Testament thing, test, test the spirits, you know, test, be discerning, pay attention. Is this, um, is this spiritual experience that's coming because the Bible's filled with spiritual experiences, um, lots of actual interaction between the worlds, but pay attention is, is the being that's coming to you is, is this good or evil? And so there uh, still always needs to be discernment, but, um, it, yeah, things really changed spiritually from that very dark time, um, to a, 
uh, more balanced um, era that Jesus was bringing in and that continued um, in the centuries to follow. All right, awesome. So some historical context for the, the statements that you find in the Bible. And then there's also the correspondential context for it, that the Bible is speaking to you in the language of correspondences. So for example, when it says, honor your father and your mother, it's not talking about loyalty to your literal father and literal mother. When even, even the 10 commandments that have, that are generally like, do not murder, that you should be following and, and that the, the internal sense does shine through a bit, but there's a, there's a whole complex of extra layers with that, where the do not murder actually also talks about don't burn with uh, hatred towards someone in your heart. Don't try to kill their reputation. There's a, and then on these deeper higher level of stuff that I don't even know what he's talking about, like don't blaspheme the word, something you're not supposed to do. That's, that's something complex and spiritual. So the same thing with when saying don't, don't, uh, what's the examples he gives? Don't, don't channel, don't do mediumship, don't do witchcraft. Those are all, there's some correspondential meaning to each of those. Those are, there's something else it's talking about there. I don't know offhand what it is and, and whatever that is, don't do it. I think Karen has a thought on that though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm remembering actually, we did talk about the correspondence of, uh, the word sorcery as used in the Bible. Uh, we talked about that in the episode Revelation, the bottomless pit. And um, the there's a, in this chapter in um, Revelation, it's talking about sorcery as one of the list of things to, to not be doing. But the correspondence, the deeper meaning of that word sorcery corresponds to deceit, like don't lie in the Ten Commandments. And so you can't, um, that's the thing about, uh, you, you can't um, look at the Bible literally because then you can say, well, I don't do that action, so I'm okay. Because the deeper meaning of that <laughs> is something that we all are faced with, which is just lying, you know, not telling the truth, not being honest. And so yeah. that is the correspondence. So when the Bible uses this language, it's really not talking about external actions. It's talking about these deeper actions of the spirit. And so we have to learn to um, understand those because those are things we all do and we all have to watch out for. It's never something you can point at somebody else and saying, oh, you're being bad. You're sinning because you're doing that because you have to look inside as Jesus was always telling us, like, look in your own heart. And these uh, the symbolic language of the Bible is telling us, watch out. Don't be deceiving. Don't be deceiving. Awesome. Yeah, there you go. So there's there's two-part answer to what you're wondering about, Tim. Hope you enjoyed that. And did we ever talk about how we're doing this on a Wednesday instead of on a Friday? This is an irregular show. So I don't, you know, it's probably surprising to people that it popped up in their feed. They weren't prepared. They weren't uh, ready for this to happen. So I just want to say it's so awesome that we've been able to raise $100 toward our goal with this surprise audience here. And I'll also say the next 10 minutes will determine the future of everything because either we're going 15 more minutes, if we can raise $17 in now nine minutes, 17, you do the math. I don't know how many dollars, $12 a minute. I don't know what that is, but uh, go to off to left eye.com slash donate. If you want that to happen, this next one, 
Matthew Bush is asking for the return of a show feature. Matthew Bush asks, can you do an elevator pitch on reciprocal influx? According to Swedenborg. Okay, sound the timer. Do count me down. You ready? <clears throat> By reciprocal influx is not meant that the exterior natural flows into the interior because this is impossible. For exterior things cannot possibly flow into interior things or what is the same thing, lower or posterior things into higher and prior ones. But the rational calls forth the things which are in the interior natural and by means of this things which are in the exterior, not that the things themselves which are in, therein are called forth, but that which has been concluded or as it were extracted from them. Such is the nature of reciprocal influx. <laughs> Now so, you have to explain what you just said. I don't know what that is. I didn't even know. I just read that. I looked it up and read it. And I didn't, when he, when I saw that question in the queue, I was like, reciprocal influx, what's that? So you, it's news to me, Matthew. Um, sounds like he's talking about you know, the, the natural flowing in or not flowing in, but either of you, have you come across that reciprocal influx before? I, I would need to look at what you just read so I can. Where, where did that come from, Curtis? That's uh, Secrets of Heaven 5119 POTS translation. Uh-huh. Okay. So I bet the NCE translation will be a little more helpful, a little more understandable there. Sure. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Let's see. What What is it? Yeah. The Elliot translation has reciprocal influx as well. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can uh, find a lower number. What's the number? Five? Five one one nine. Yeah, take a look at that. Okay, but like we can we can sort of return to that one. But very cool technical question from Matthew Bush, and we'll see if we can serve something up. If not, um, yeah, I'm I'm not seeing any reciprocal influx in the already released NCE numbers. No, no. it's okay. later on. Yeah. Is uh, it doesn't okay. I found one, so the expression does not mean okay. I think, I think the point is that influx, I mean, inflow of life can't happen from the outside in, it can only happen from the inside out, is what it seems to me to be saying. It, uh, does means a reciprocal influx into good deeds. That hey, while you're looking at that, while you're looking at that, I want to say something really important. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Dolly. And thank you, Madeline. Yay. We are now up at $200. We've comfortably made our goal. Thanks, everybody. So there's the pressure's off for us to solve this reciprocal influx conundrum in the next <laughs> four minutes. I think it's safe to at least say that um, that it's it has to do with realness, life, everything flows from the deeper levels into the outer levels, and it can't go the other way. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think the key the key sentence in this thing I just read was the reciprocal influx takes place when the rational calls forth things present in the interior natural, and also by means of the interior natural, those present in the exterior natural. So it's about the one part of the mind reaching sort of into both cookie jars, like the spirit and the outer mind, and those going together. It doesn't. There's a re reciprocity there, but it doesn't mean that the outer stuff in or move to the inner stuff because that goes, Swedenborg says that's a no, no, you know? Yeah, you did it. You explained it in less than a minute. Thank you. I did come across uh, the newer translation, but it still says reciprocal influence. And I think Curtis got it. Reciprocal influence? Reciprocal uh, influence. 
Uh-huh. Does not mean the influence of the outer earthly lover on the inner, because this is impossible. What is outside never influence what is inside. It, real time, <laughs> real time research happening. Hey, Jason, thank you, Jason. Jason just contributed and we're up to 225. Thank you so much, everybody. Your, uh, your gifts are going to make this keep going. So let's speak of that. We better keep going. Matthew, hope you, hopefully you found that satisfying. Roy Engstrom asks, I know a number of people who did well by me, but not so well by others in their life. Hard to help them in the afterlife would love to repay their love. Well, that's cool. So this is, okay. There's some people who are generally maybe abrasive or negative in some way. Maybe this is not boding well for their state after death, but, but you see a really sweet side of someone and, or somebody expresses kindness to you and you want to do something for them. Can we, can we pay it forward or pay it back in the life after death? What can you do for someone there? I, I love it. So what, what do you, what do you think, Karen? Absolutely. I mean, what love wants to do, what, well, in any, in any sense, what love wants to do will be fulfilled in, in the afterlife um, fully. If you can't quite do that in, in this world, I think it's important to realize that, uh, the l- things that might seem little that we do for others or thanks we might express to others uh, might seem small that we do in this world. Like you might have um, someone did something for you and uh, you feel like, oh, I could never repay that. But just your appreciation or something little meant more to them than you than you realize. So I think that's important to um, to keep in mind in this world that it's, it's not about sort of a uh, externally evening a, a score, it, you know, you might think I need to do something that was just as nice or something. Anyway, that, that you can't measure things that way. But absolutely, if you feel like um, there was somebody that you wish you could express more love or give more help to than you were able to in this world, absolutely. For one, you can trust that they are getting uh, so loved in the afterlife, you know, like every love that the Lord and the angels want to offer them will be offered. And so they're going to be um, showered with all the love that they are willing to uh, accept. And you too will be able to, in the afterlife, um, definitely share whatever love you want because the God is, you know, the Lord is total, the desire to love and express love. And so, the Lord would want nothing more than to help people do that to the fullest extent possible. So if you feel any desire in your heart to share more love with somebody or, or more help or whatever it is, you will absolutely be um, able to do that in the afterlife. And you're probably doing it now more than you realize or did do it more than you realize. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, it makes me think like, let's play that scenario out to its most extreme because we don't know, Roy, I mean, you don't know any of those other people what their real intent, state of intention is. You can have somebody who is, is seems like they're a, a really negative person, but maybe they, they've got circumstances or something that makes it so that actually in their heart, there, there is a caring for other people. So in the other world, they get free to that stuff and they're, they're doing great. But let's say worst case scenario, 
somebody that you know ends up totally devoted to hell and you are totally devoted to heaven, that's not a problem for helping. I mean, there's angels who their whole job all the time is to go down and hang out with the spirits of hell and try to give them all kinds of help. So keep, keep them from quarreling with each other, try to teach them things, try to lead them through processes, mitigate problems that come up in their lives so that the capacity to help people is never limited. And, and that's, that's really what I would imagine a lot of heaven's effort is going towards helping people that are outside of heaven. So yeah, I think you'll be able to do it. And it's, it's just nice that you're, uh, you're thinking of that. Uh, Cara, did you want to weigh in? Okay, cool. Then let's go to our, Oh, I didn't mention, did I mention Nadia? No, I did not. Nadia gave We're up to 255 now. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you. That's really awesome. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's a great vote of confidence in, in what we're doing. So, Hey, speaking of that, we're into our bonus time as of this very minute. So this is thanks to the people who have contributed uh, throughout the life of the whole project, but especially those who contributed this afternoon. Thank you so much or evening or where it is, whatever it is, wherever you are. The first bonus question is Matthew Borham asks, is it possible to visit heaven and actually record meeting Jesus on a video phone? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just, instead of all this theorizing, just say, here it is. Uh, is that is that a possibility that, that we're going to be able to, to cross our fingers and, and hope we got our phone handy when we when we see Jesus? Uh, what do you think, Karin? Well, I certainly don't want to count out that eventually, it seems like um, through both states of mind and technology, we're kind of getting closer to the spiritual world and um, closer to having people's minds of technology do something without physically touching it and things. So I certainly don't want to um, rule out that that kind of thing. And I, I do know that people um, have seemed to have recorded, uh, you know, spirit, spirit voices on a, on a physical recording device, that kind of thing. Um, so who, who knows if that gets more possible eventually um because wasn't it uh was it last we were in a recent q a show we were talking about the future and whether that that could maybe uh, you know the more uh, ability to interact with the spiritual world and to have um what would seem to be miraculous things happen in the physical world because of a better connection with correspondences and heaven and everything and um we were talking about how that could be, it, might that happen through technology, not in a negative way, but in like people getting more uh, spiritually awake and um, developing technology along with that state of mind, would that lead to, uh, uh, you know, towards the golden age or it will be more all um, state of mind and, and you don't need any technology. And we ended up thinking, wow, maybe a little of each, you know, like would lead us towards, um, uh, a golden age of more, more connection with the spiritual world. Um, so I mentioned that because who knows, maybe technology will play a part and maybe that's just part of our, our human journey. Um, but at, at present, but at the same time, um, Swedenborg points out that, uh, 
you know, physical matter is, is, uh, it's very hard for physical matter to, uh, perceive spiritual substance that they're kind of on a different, a different level, like a distinct dimension difference. Um, so that said it, I, I don't know that it will ever be possible to record something on a physical device and bring it back from a, a trip to heaven that you might be able to make. But on the other hand, if, if that trip to heaven was recorded in your own memory and we had technology to, you know, like we, we have more and more like technology can see what's happening in your brain and, and your thoughts can make this machine do something when you're paralyzed and maybe the recording in your own memory could eventually, uh, you know, transfer to some piece of technology. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great one. I didn't think about that because uh, it's coming. The interface between technology and our thoughts seems to be on the way. A lot of cool stuff in there. I think that I don't know about visiting heaven. I feel like there's there are two separate phenomena there. Visit heaven, meet Jesus. Visiting heaven, I don't know. And I, Swedenborg is very careful to say that, yeah, these two worlds are distinct from each other. They are vertical levels rather than gradual levels. I forget the terminology that he uses, but he says they're, they're just discrete degrees instead of so continuous. So it's not like you just kind of get to the edge of the physical world and then you're in heaven. It's like physical world is here and heaven is here and you can't, they just run parallel. However, I wonder what that's like at the margins. I know I was just watching a show about the universe and it talks about dark matter. There's this dark matter that we can't see, but it would pass right through you if you went through it, but we know that it affects how the bodies in the universe work. And it could, is that the spiritual world or is, or is that just an extension of the physical world? Who knows? And could, is there, yeah, this, the amazingly profound edge of technology Do we cross those, but all that aside, Jesus might be a different phenomenon. Because didn't Swedenborg say that Jesus was like the only time that something physical became divine, that Jesus made his whole body divine? This is part of the like the magic trick of the greatest event in human history. So does Jesus's physical body, is it somewhere or is it, can it just manifest somewhere? Could, could you actually have Jesus appear? And it's a thing that you, yeah, anybody's phone can just take a picture because he becomes physical. Uh, I don't know, but speculation is fun. Lots of fun questions to ask. We yeah. don't have the answers, but fun to imagine the possibilities. All right. Let's imagine some more possibilities. Jocelyn Stuff asks, does Swedenborg have any suggestions how we can connect to a deceased loved one? It's funny, I was just being interviewed last night for a, a show on the internet, and I was asked by the host, does Swedenborg give any tips on how to induce spiritual experiences? And I was just talking about how his works are uh, conspicuously absent tips on how to do that, even though he talks so much about everything surrounding it. And I was thinking at the time, yeah, that might be one of the most conspicuous absences of something in his canon, but this is probably the other one. Does Swedenborg have any suggestions on how to connect to a deceased loved one? As far as I know, there's nothing direct where he says, this is how you do it. We've been able to come up with some, some theories based on what he says about the basics of angelic communication, but yeah, so do we wanna 
unless I'm missing something, uh, do we want to go over a little bit of that? Yeah, Karin. Yeah, I mean, this is not something that a, a grieving person dying for a visitation from a loved one can go to Swedenborg to find a way to have an obvious, an obvious visitation. Um, because what Swedenborg is offering is that we have this ongoing, very real connection with people in the spiritual world all the time. And though we don't see it. And so I feel like what I get out of his writings rather than a way of how I could have an obvious visitation that I recognize easily, um, what I have gained that has um, fed me when I'm missing my loved ones on the other side are things like knowing that when I am engaged in similar affections and thoughts as my loved one uh, that, that uh, I shared with my loved one, or if I'm thinking about her or um, doing something that the two of us loved and were interested in, that there is a very real connection going on. And so instead of, um, I don't find anything in Swedenborg that has me have a way to conjure up my mother's or my daughter's image before me and I can talk in an obvious way, but I absolutely, and I value this very deeply, um, find in Swedenborg's writings, the assurance that we are constantly connected with those we love um, through our heart and mind. And when I am, you know, when I'm doing something that I used to love, that my mom and I loved, uh, I, she is with me. You know, like I can, I could say to her in my mind, that was fun, right? <laughs> you know, like, um, or I could just talk to her in my mind about, she used to, she loved to watch these shows and we would talk about them afterwards. She loved the Q and A shows and we'd talk on the phone. She, she died in December. So she's very on my mind. Um, so I can feel like in this Q and A show we're having right now, my mom's, my mom's here. She's loving this. She's loving that, uh, that we're talking about these kinds of things. She would be, be engaging in similar kinds of thinking about God and spiritual reality and everything. Um, so I take a lot of um, comfort out of just knowing that's really going on. And that's something I can count on. I can't, uh, it's, for me, it's a, a frustrating chase to try to chase how do I make my loved one appear to me in an obvious way. But this is something I can access anytime. And, um, and it's very real. So that's what I get out of it. And that's what I try to share with others. Awesome. Oh, I love it. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Let's go to the next one. Rico Piglet, who asks, or says, Howard Storm described humanity's future as very low tech. Is this perhaps because tech was developed as a compensation for our inability to use correspondences and lack of trust in divine providence? Wow. Yeah. Oh, I was going to just mention that that's how in a recent Q&A show, that's how the, the conversation started. So I forget what the question was, but I started out mentioning this vision of the future that Howard Storm was shown. And yeah, it was just like humanity is going to be without, he was not mentioning technology, but that humanity could, um, you know, could just um, 
commune with nature and have food grow and collectively control the weather to, to make it work for everybody on the planet and um, travel the universe without, <laughs> with your physical body still there on the ground on earth um, and interact. So um, I definitely believe that um, technology is not needed, but in our conversation, in our panel conversation, I think it was maybe Chelsea brought up just this other possibility that because we also t have talked about on our channel that the internet is getting us closer and closer to being able to just uh, interact with each other the way they do in the spiritual world, you know, according to interest and just getting together instantly or finding a common affection and gathering around it on the internet. And so uh, the conversation we had speculated, um, hmm, but maybe is that that could be happening too. You know, it's just like, um, uh, speculating that maybe, um, will it be a complete abandonment of all technology or could both exist like the heavenly and spiritual kingdom that Swedenborg describes in the other world? Like there's, there's just different ways of, um, achieving the same goal of connecting with God and with each other and spirituality. Could that take more than one path? I mean, uh, Howard Stern was seeing something. Does that mean that's the way it is for everybody, or is there something else too? Just like when Swedenborg would see things in the spiritual world, we know that he was saying one thing, but there's infinite variety of other things going on too. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, I, I, I loved that vision of that Howard Stern was shown. I love the feel of just, it's it just comes down to our minds and it all <laughs> flowing through correspondences and nature. Um, so I like that, but, we were just wondering in a past conversation. Yeah, I think in his book, he says there was no, no technology that I could, that I saw as technology. That, yeah. So technology today looks a lot different. It could be that some technology when, when it really gets good is so unobtrusive and so harmonious with natural systems that that it's it is we're still augmenting things but again yeah you know. i've heard um just people speculate could technology shift eventually into because everything's made out of things out of nature to begin with you know all these devices we have are, have metals and things that uh came out of the earth um would technology get a little bit more directly like through stones you you know people people do use crystals and stones. Can we get more knowing correspondences to get it more directly to the, the natural item rather than having to uh, tinker so much putting things together, but it's still a technology in a way, you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, what would technology mean? And might uh, Howard Storm's vision have involved some technology that we wouldn't uh, recognize as technology? Interesting question. Yep. And um, I don't, Oh, sorry. Go for it. Oh, I'm just, I, it's so fascinating to me that the concept that technology would be a compensation for a lack of trust in divine providence. I'm curious about that. <laughs> Whether, because, right. I mean, I think there's the, the super golden age of the past was you didn't even need a science of correspondences. It was so intuitive and and then there was a later stage where it was more um, 
yeah, you knew this symbol meant this. And so you made sure to have this symbol depicted in a statue or so. So there was just a little bit more of a something between. So might we, you know, we might need to go back that uh, path backwards. Like we might need to keep having these correspondential things to facilitate it, but maybe eventually that all falls away and it's back to just the, so direct. <laughs> yeah, well, like I want to, you know, I bought a generator for my house so that when the electricity goes out, we can have a little bit of electricity. Is that because I don't trust Providence? You know, that I think that's the starting point. It's because I don't want the Lord to have the option to take my power away. So I guess that's like the starting point for that. And yeah, the, the, the technology versus nature and how they combine conversation is a fascinating one. I don't really care how we do it as long as eventually we can remake dinosaurs. I'll be all good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everybody. Oh. That's the end of our time. I want to thank the people who donated to us. We had eight donors and four new ones. So thank you. Thank you. And welcome new donors. I have it. I heard through the grapevine that, that one of the our donors actually jumped out of the tub to make sure we hit our goal on time. So thank you so much. Aw, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to put that those funds to work right away. I mean, we've, we've got news from heaven coming out on Friday this week, which is do you see God as a sun or a moon? Some interesting insight into the nature of our perception and what the divine really is. And then we have our Inside Off the Left Eye podcast on Sunday, the details of the dying process and how angels read faces. So stay tuned. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up. And I just want to say thanks to the panel. It was really cool getting to hear your thoughts and insights. Yeah, thank you, everybody. You're all such a blessing. Love your questions. Hope our conversations can spark more ideas in your minds and you could share them with us later in the comments. So thank you. Yep, it's uh, your contributions of your questions and your interests are just as valuable as your contributions of cash. So thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. And hopefully as a show that we're interested, it's, it's two minutes past our 15 minutes and we're still here yucking it up because we really like to and hopefully you've enjoyed yourselves as well okay we'll see you uh in the next video or podcast or whatever you click on in the meantime hope that the uh, sun spiritual sun is shining bright in your heart and your mind see you everyone